We'll be right back to the show after this. Been on the fence about adding digital products to your Etsy shop? We put together a free 60-minute workshop teaching you the basics of selling digital products on Etsy and what it's done for our business. We'll give you behind-the-scenes look into our product and marketing strategies and all the tools you need to get started. Sound good? Head over to goldcityventures.com slash workshop to register for free. That's goldcityventures.com slash workshop. Enjoy. Friends, you're listening to Crickets to Cha-Chings, a show where we talk about all aspects of running a handmade business and marketing that business for success while still keeping a balance to have flexibility for your family. I'm your host, Lauren Keplinger, and I am so excited to get started. Let's jump right in. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Crickets to Chichings. My name is Lauren Keplinger, and today on the podcast with me, I have Elizabeth Chapel of Quilters Candy, and she has a program about turning your craft into a career, and she is going to talk to us about her path in doing that and has a really interesting story, and I'm excited to have this conversation both for myself and for you all. <laughs> so welcome, Elizabeth. Can you kind of introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure, yeah. And thanks so much for inviting me to be here, Lauren. I'm super excited to chat with you. And yeah, so I am a quilter, and this is always an interesting thing when people are like, so what do you do? I still don't know how to answer that totally well, you know? So yes, I'm a quilter, but so much more than that. And we'll dive into to all the different facets of what I do and how I got here. But basically, I learned how to quilt because I am an entrepreneur and it was a good little niche market. And then I have grown and scaled that and pivoted and changed. And taking the things that I've learned, I now teach other people how to take their creative passion and turn that into a successful career. Yeah. So can you give us a little bit of background about how you got started quilting specifically? Because I actually don't know that I knew that like you didn't come from a hobby background. You So you taught yourself yeah. to quilt in order to sell it. Yep. Which the first time I have a niece who was in college taking an entrepreneur course and she needed to call an entrepreneur to pick their brain and she chose me, which was very flattering. I'm like, oh my gosh, she chose me. She asked, did you start with your hobby or with being an entrepreneur first? And that was the first time anyone approached it that way. I was like, yeah, actually, it started with the business first. And so that was very like validating that she asked that. So yeah, I have been, you know, now that I'm an adult looking back, I've been an entrepreneur since I was a child. I was always looking for a way to earn a buck. And if I saw someone doing something, I was like, oh man, I could totally do that myself. Or if I was hired by someone, I was like, I want to be the boss. Like I could do that. And it sounds kind of egotistical when I say it that way. And I don't mean it that way. It's just, I realized that's how my brain works and it's not how everyone's brain works, but it is how mine works. And I mean, I sold mouthwash to my neighbors, which was disgusting and bless their hearts. I pulled up with walking up door to door in a big metal pan with toothpaste and water mixed together. And Hey, do you want to buy mouthwash? And those, I mean, I still remember the look on some of their faces. I was like, Oh, okay. But they bought it, you know, so bless them. But yeah, from a young age, I was interested in, in business and selling and creating. So fast forward to my early thirties. 
my best friend lived across the street from me and we would go on walks and we were brainstorming business ideas. And her mom came into town. We live in Houston and she came into Houston for this quilt market and they just called it market. My mom's going to market. I was like, what, what is this market that you speak of? What does your mom do? And she said, well, she designs fabric for quilters. And I grew up with my mom quilting and I was not interested. I was like, oh, okay. How about that? Then fast forward another year, her mom came again for this market. And I was like, what, what, what does your mom do? Can I come to this market? I'm very intrigued what your mom does. So they got me into this quilt market and for one, I realized how cool the quilting community is. I mean, it blew my mind to see all the fabrics, all the the things that really spoke to me and woke up my creative, I don't know, desires and interests and all that. As an entrepreneur, I knew that it's good to find a niche market where people are already congregating, where they're already spending a lot of money, where, I mean, you don't want to go and create a following. You want to find a following and fill a void in that following. I was like, oh, dang, this is that niche market of which I've heard so much of, you know? I want to interrupt you right there for just a second and tell people to rewind like 30 seconds and listen to that again. You don't want to have to create a market. You want to find a market that you can find your niche within. Yes. Yes. (laughs) That's a really, really good point. (laughs) Yeah. So we're here at this market and I'm realizing that her mom, she was very big. She's now retired from designing fabric, but she was one of the top producing fabric designers in the quilting industry. And I had no idea all this time she'd been coming to town and I was like, oh, that's so sweet. She's a quilter. No, she was killing it, you know, (laughs) and I get the same thing now. People are like, oh, you're a quilter. That's so sweet, you know. So then we left and I was like, we need to do something in this quilting industry. This is huge. And we brainstormed. And at that time, monthly subscription boxes were just like really big, but there weren't any in the quilting industry. And I was like, let's do a monthly subscription box for quilters. So we started with that. And that's how I jumped in. And then when we started, I was like, well, I guess I better learn how to quilt. You know, I don't want to be an imposter in this industry. So I better learn how to do the thing. So my friend taught me how to quilt. (laughs) It's really funny because I see so many parallels in my own story here. Like I also was a child entrepreneur. I sold Beanie Babies in the 90s on like Mm -hmm. an old like fat desktop computer on the Thai Beanie Baby website. And then also got into the industry that I'm in by teaching myself in order to start a business. So it wasn't like a natural progression from hobby to business, which is a different perspective than a lot of people come in. In some ways, I think it's beneficial because you're thinking strategically about it from the get-go. And in some ways, I do think it's challenging to then have the ongoing creativity when it's not necessarily something that you come into as a hobby. So, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like you said, like learning how to quilt because you say, not because you say like, I just have quilted for my whole life and I love doing it. But because you say like, I have to learn this skill in order to be relevant in this industry or whatever. But yeah, that's it. It's a different because a lot of people do come into it from a hobby standpoint. Yes. Okay. So you were doing the subscription boxes and then tell us more about kind of the patterns and that kind of digital design stuff that you do now. 
in terms of teaching and what that looks like for somebody, like, let's say somebody is listening that is a quilter that says like, okay, but I didn't come into this strategically thinking about how I was going to scale my business. So I just really love to make quilts. What does that look like for somebody with a, a craft that is so time consuming or can be so time consuming? Yeah. So, I mean, a a few things to chat about here. So one, I actually really love the fact, I mean, I don't want to sound like tooting my own horn, but it has been really beneficial to come into this quilting career as an entrepreneur because, and I, you will understand this as well, because I do approach the quilting world very differently from a quilter. I look at everything through the lens of a business. When I walk into a quilting store, I swear they're like, who is this woman? Because my questions to the owners are, what fabrics sell the most? How do you decide what fabrics you're going to carry in your store? What pattern? I mean, I'm just picking their brain from an entrepreneur business. How can I get in the door? And what are they looking for so that I can be found by them and be picked up by them? But with that said... I also actually really do enjoy the creative side of it. And that was something that was a very pleasant surprise. So as I started quilting, the first quilt I made was, I hated it. I was blood, sweat, and tears. You know, I was poking myself with the needles, crying. I don't understand this pattern. However, again, I feel like that's been a major advantage because coming from a total newbie, trying to immerse myself in this world, I had a a very different perspective of like, wow, you know, you could really write this better so that someone can understand this more clearly. And this can actually be enjoyable if you do it this way, this way, this way. And so again, it brought a really different perspective to this, this world that people, I don't know how other people get involved in quilting because that first introduction was rough, man. I was like, Hmm, why do people love this? You know, but after I kept quilting, Then my mind started going in this, I was like, oh, these patterns are so cool. If you turn this block this way, it makes a whole different quilt. And what if I were to do this and that? And it sparked this creative side of my brain that also really wanted to be fed. And then I thought, you know, I want to learn how to write these patterns. And that was a steep learning curve as well. There was no one out there sharing their secrets. They were like, no, you're going to be my competition. I'm not going to share that with you. And so I was like, if other people can do it, I know I can do it. I will teach myself. And my first patterns were really rough. And anyone who bought them and is still a customer of mine, I'm like, well, bless you. There's a special place in heaven for you. um, (laughs) So if somebody is listening to this episode and they are, let's say they're a quilter and they are struggling to figure out what the next step in building their revenue is, because they basically only have a revenue stream from their finished quilts, which as you know, (laughs) are really time Uh consuming to create. So their ability to continue to grow that is going to be maxed out by the number of hours in the day that they have. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that could look like in terms of adding a side of their business that could potentially be a little more passive or a little bit more scalable for them? Yes, absolutely. So that is one of the things with quilting, for example, it takes a lot of time and a lot of money. And if you are selling your quilts and that's your business, it's really hard to scale because you are trading your time for money. And especially speaking of quilting, it's something that's really hard to charge people what your time is worth, you know? So if you love, let's just say quilting, but it could be across the board for lots of different kinds of projects and hobbies. 
If you love quilting and you want to make a business with that, I highly recommend thinking of diversifying and looking for creative ways to fill a niche. So for one, I talk a lot about finding a niche and becoming known for one thing. It's really hard if you're a jack of all trades and you sell all sorts of things because people, you're not memorable. You know, you want to be known as the person who sells, let's say, quilt kits for baby girls. I mean, just get as narrow as possible. And then I also like to think if you sell a product that people are loving, how could you sell something that is going to earn money while you're sleeping? So let's say if you sell quilts, you could write your own quilt patterns and that you create once you spend time creating it one time and you put it out there and it will sell over and over and over again. The more sales you get, you're not adding more work to your life. It actually, it's a total scalable thing where it's just a matter of getting more eyes on the prize. You know, you just want to get seen more. And then also this goes a little bit outside of like the Etsy craft thing. But if you're in a hobby area that you love, again, let's say quilting, you can also go and look and see, are there people out there who who are writing patterns or who do have a business and you could do some behind the scenes work for them. So basically just thinking outside of the box, be creative, you know, go and look around. I love looking in other industries and seeing what people are doing and creating in other industries that's working well. And then seeing if you can recreate that in your own industry. Like, for example, the monthly subscription box that I started out with, that was not in the quilting community. I saw that in other industries and was like, oh, dang, I could do that for quilters. And so just finding creative ways. There's so much to think about, though, like if you're going to sell a physical product, and I'm sure you talk about this, but storage for it, how to make sure you sell it. That's one thing I really like about digital products is there's not this upfront cost where you have to buy the product and store it in your house and then make sure you're selling it all or you don't get your money back. But if you do find a physical product that like, let's say a quilt kit that you want to make, if you team up with someone who's a really great popular fabric designer and they're willing to give you a shout out just to get some more marketing for your product. So there's a lot that goes into it, but definitely, yes, if you love making quilts and you want to continue to sell them, go for it. But think about other areas where you can earn money, where you aren't trading your time for your money and where it's it's scalable and you can earn money while you sleep. Yeah. So I think that this is really important for people who are listening to kind of, even if you're not a quilter, you know, Elizabeth got started in the quilting industry, but I think it's applicable in a lot of different ways where you're really thinking where your skill set intersects with opportunities that are outside of just the finished product. And I think that there's like an infinite number of ways that you can do it, but you do have to like think a little bit creatively. And I see it, I'm seeing it more and more actually, which is an interesting industry shift to me. But I think that it is a really, I don't know if I want to say like important or interesting or something that people understand that it doesn't have to be one or the other. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, just digital products or just patterns or just kits or whatever. If that is not where you get your creative fulfillment, you can still do those physical products to the level that you want them to be or to the level that you can manage while still having this ability to grow your revenue through these other products that aren't as time consuming. And I think that that is you know, a lot of times from the people that do come at it from a hobby 
perspective, like they they got into this because they just love quilting. I get a lot of pushback with that because they're like, oh, but that's not what I want to do. But to me, first off, there's always pieces of our business that we don't want to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you don't really get to like run a business where like every day is sunshine and rainbows and you only do what you want to do all the time. But secondly, it gives you the freedom to do what you want to do if you have revenue coming in from different streams. This episode is brought to you by Audible. It's no secret that I love reading fiction, nonfiction, biographies. I'm here for it all, but I don't always have time to read or the ability to focus only on the page of the book in front of me, like hello, summertime at the beach or by the pool where I have to be present to supervise my kids. That's why I love Audible so much. I can download books and take them on the go. Nothing like sitting by the ocean, listening to my favorite author's newest story. And now you can get a free 30-day trial to Audible that includes a credit for any premium selection title that you want. There are podcasts, audiobooks, guided wellness, and so much more. Head to laurenkeplinger.com forward slash audible for all the details and to get started today. laurenkeplinger.com forward slash audible. Absolutely. And a big piece of this pie, I would say, is the mindset where it's really hard if you approach this with the mindset of scarcity or I can't do this. That's a hard thing to overcome. But if you can sit with and really welcome into your life abundance, I know I can do this. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I know that I will figure this out. And I know that I can find a creative way to earn this. I know that I can have success. It sounds so much easier said than done. And it really <laughs> takes work. But like mind frame in this is huge. I've seen people who they'll approach, again, this is quilting patterns, but this is across the board applicable to any industry and business. Oh, I tried writing quilt patterns and it just isn't going well. So I'm done. I'm just going to quit. I'm like, well, gosh, darn it. No, I don't know if anything's going to go well, you know, because you got to pivot and learn. But yeah, the mindset of of approaching it with a questioning mind, instead of saying it's not going to work or no, but that won't work for me to just say, I know it can work. Let me learn and figure out how it can work. Yeah. And my husband's favorite way of saying this is you need to add yet to that sentence. Like it's not working yet. I haven't figured it it out yet. (laughs) Yeah. And all of a sudden it changes the finality of the fact that I haven't figured it out. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's really annoying when I just want to like follow my <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, and I think that that is like you said. I think that there's a different perspective when when you have this kind of innate entrepreneur instinct, or I don't even really want to say instinct, but like this drive towards entrepreneurship that not everybody identifies with. I think that some of that maybe comes a little bit more naturally. Because I I know that for me, it has like, I say that I think that one of the key reasons that I succeeded is because I was stubbornly optimistic about my ability to succeed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But even for people who don't come into that as a background, like to just keep in mind that, you know, like you said, there are so many opportunities and different ways that you can do it. It doesn't have to be patterns. It doesn't have to be subscription boxes. It doesn't have to be anything. You know, Elizabeth and I are not here to tell you like, this is the only way that you can do it. But thinking about your industry and thinking about what you like to do and the places that you 
like to interact with people and how you can take that and and grow the next step. Yeah. And I think too, for people who maybe that entrepreneurial instinct doesn't come as naturally, that's okay. I think it's really beneficial to listen to like your podcast, surround yourself with people who have those kinds of instincts and ideas. And if you surround yourself with that, listen to the things, be around those people, it will spark ideas. And so you can kind of hitch your saddle out, if you will, to that person and ride their, not ride their coattails, but just glean inspiration from them. You'll get your own inspiration, but you got to put yourself in the room where that's going to be created, you know? Yeah. And also, like you said about mindset, like understand that both sides, like whether you're coming at it like Elizabeth and I from this like business side really heavily, or whether you're coming at it from the creative side really heavily, there has to be a balance between the two in every business. So those of us that are like strictly analytical have to do other things to have creative inspiration (laughs) because that Mm -hmm. creativity doesn't come as naturally to me as it does to some people. So regardless of what side you're coming from or what your background is in what you're coming from, you always have to stretch yourself to the other parts of business that don't come as naturally to you. Yeah, that's a really fair point. So if, yeah, there's someone who's on the creative aspect and they're like, well, it's not fair. I don't have that entrepreneurial. We could just as easily say it's not fair. We don't have that creative, you know, so it's an equal playing field. We each have our areas that we need some help with, you know? Yeah. So if you have a student that comes in and they say like, I have this hobby that I really love, but I don't really know what to do with it, where to go with it. I feel like I'm kind of like stuck. Do you have any like kind of tips on how they can get started or, you know, how they can take those next first steps. Yeah. So that's interesting. Generally, when I work with students, they generally have an idea of something that they want to do. I will say though, as we talk about like niching down and finding your ideal customer, people usually pivot and really niching down, like getting as specific as possible Can I ask you a question and interrupt you there for a second? Mm -hmm. I've had this conversation with several people recently that, I mean, we've always talked about niching down and, you know, finding your dream customer and all of that kind of stuff. But I feel like in 2022 that those like hyper niche markets are really where it's at. Are you finding the same? Absolutely. I kid you not, the more niche someone is, the more success they have. And everyone, every person is terrified to do it. And I've never met a creative entrepreneur who hasn't fought against that and said, no, no, no. Absolutely. Like, it's crazy. Well, I was just going to say that, like I was talking with someone the other day and they made this point that I thought was really relevant that like, it used to be that hand poured soy candles were a niche, but now it has to be beyond that. Like, a hand poured soy candles, there's a million of them, you know, and so you have a vanilla candle, there's got to be something else to it. That's not a selling feature. It has to be like a has a funny label on it, or there has to be something else to it. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was thinking too, I do have some students who want to sell custom quilts, and they don't want to add other revenue streams. And so my question to them is, how much do you want to earn? And if you're fine with 
that cap, you know, then great, go for it. That is your happy place. And that's what you want to do. That's totally fine. If you have a financial goal and you need to reach above where you can get with that, that's when it's time to start thinking of these other areas. However, that doesn't mean you broaden the niche. It means you add other products that are within that niche, you know? That's the mic drop moment here. I think for people listening, like that, that is so important. Like, because, and I'm sure you get pushback about this too, when people say, like, but you know, that doesn't work for my products. It just doesn't work for my products because they're one of a kind and that's all I'm going to do. And I'm only willing to do that. And that's fine. Like, I'm not here to tell you what to do. You're free to make your own decisions in your own business. The breakdown there happens when your goals for what you want from your business are not in line with what you're creating or what you're making. Yeah. Because like you said, if you have custom quilts that take, I don't even know how long the quilt takes to make because I don't quilt. Mm -hmm. I would say lots of time. (laughs) If you have a, a custom quilt that takes lots of time to make, there is going to be a natural cap on what you can bring in because you only have so many hours in the day and you only have so much that you can systematize to make it faster. Like there is a cap on how fast you can make it. And so if that is your parameter for what you want to do, and that is what you want to do, that's fine. As long as you're realistic about where that leads you in terms of the money that you're bringing in. Yep, exactly. I think that that was a really good point. I just need to sit in that for a second. (laughs) (laughs) Because there are a lot of people who come to me and and they, especially because my business is so incredibly systematized at this point and my products are very fast to produce. And so, you know, I will say, I just posted a reel the other day on Instagram that was like, I do all of my orders in one day a week. And people are like, okay, but that doesn't work for me. And I'm like, but it, it didn't work for me either when I first got started. Like, this is how I've grown the business. This, like, I don't do, the orders that take an hour to make anymore because I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing if I still took those orders. That's the mind frame I'm talking about. So when someone approaches something, well, that's that won't work for me, you have got to change that mindset. Again, I'm not telling anyone how you have to live. But if you want to achieve the thing, you've got to change the mindset too. Instead of, I can't, ask yourself, how can I? How can I do this? Yeah. Yes. How can that work for me? It can. Like, I'm just going to blow everyone's mind. It can work for you. I don't know what you do. I don't know where you are. You can figure it out. There is a way to get better and more efficient and do better. There just and is, that might so. not mean with the exact same products that you have and the exact same production methods that you have right now. It might mean a shift in that, just like I have shifted, just like Elizabeth has shifted, <laughs> just like anybody that's trying to scale anything usually shifts over time. I mean, it's a natural evolution. But yeah, I agree with you. And I, I think that's a a really important conversation to have. And I do just want to hit home that like, we're not telling you that you need to have, you know, a $10,000 a month business or $100,000 a year business or any level of money business. Like it all boils down to what feels good for you and what you want from your business. But the important thing is just that what you're doing in your production methods and what you want from your business align with each other. Mm-hmm. And also, this is an interesting conversation, the whole how much you want to earn. I do think oftentimes, 
I don't know if, if it's a human condition or a female or whatever, but I think that we undersell ourselves or just we're fine with less. And we think, well, if I could earn a hundred thousand a year, that's enough. That's a lot, but you could push yourself. I mean, let's not set the cap. So yes, it's fine. And I am not trying to tell anyone, don't be happy with what you have, you know, be content with what you've got, but you can shoot for bigger and you don't need to be afraid of, of success of earning more. It's not a bad thing to have success or to earn money that you can do a lot of good when you have success. So just not yeah. to be afraid of that or shy away from it or reach a goal point and say, good enough. It's okay to, to want more. Yeah. That's like a whole nother topic for a whole nother day. <laughs> there are so many emotions that are tied up in money. I don't know if that's a cultural thing or if that's just like you said, a human condition. I feel like it's just such a almost like taboo subject. I mean, I talk about money all the time here on this podcast. (laughs) It is tough because it's like you feel, I don't know, you feel things. It's tied to so many emotions for so many people. Money just has a bad rep. You know, people treat people who are successful like they're evil and we've got to be done with that. You know, like there's actually only so much good you can do with a limited, the more money you have, the more good you can do with the world. And so if we can shift that mindset of it's not bad, you're not a bad person if you're wealthy and it's okay to be successful and to want for that. And it doesn't make you a bad person, you know? So anyhow different topic there, but I totally agree with you. And I talk about that a lot. Although I feel sometimes like it's not a conversation that people really want to have, but it's like, you know, what does the business afford you not to just say like, I want to build a bajillion dollar business just for, you know, funsies, but like, what does that afford you in your life? I mean, I've talked extensively about my story, but what that afforded us was the ability for my husband to get out of the military when we were like miserable in military life and, you know, to be able to give generously and do other things in our lives that we weren't able to do when we were just like getting by. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a big blessing. It's a big blessing. Maybe I should have you back another time to talk about money mindset. (laughs) I would love it. I would love it. Yeah. Well, Elizabeth, if people are wanting to look you up and see how they can take the next steps for their business and what you can help them with, where can they find you? Yeah. So online, I am at www.quilterscandy.com. And then Instagram is where I mostly live with social media and it's quilters underscore candy. And yeah, that's where Oh, and I have a podcast. If this intrigues you, you can check out the craft to career podcast as well. Great. Thank you so much for being here and doing this today. Thanks for having me. I loved it. Thanks so much for tuning in. I would love to continue this conversation and connect with you over on Instagram. I am at lauren.keplinger and I am in my DMs and interacting with people all the time. So if you have questions about the episode, follow up, thoughts, comments, whatever, shoot me a DM and I would love to connect with you. I will see you back here, same time, same place next week. Bye for now.